God has blessed us with sound this morning. I was teasing the sound guy. He said something about electricity. And I said, I woke up this morning and thought, I wonder if they could hear me loud enough if the electricity was ever off. And I thought, what is that? What? That's really weird. So let me start over and pray together. Lord, I just praise you that you um, allow us to serve you and love you. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, I'm Mike Brinkman. I'm the pastor of ministry and administration here at the church, which means I deal with a lot of the administrative stuff. And i got to tell you, I have a love-hate relationship with Labor Day. What Labor Day means is more structured schedules. Um, the summer sometimes is chaos, and we're hitting and missing and that kind of thing. Labor Day also means the end of the summer, effectively. Uh, means the beginning of fall, and so fall is a, um, a beautiful time in Minnesota. Uh, it's a cooler time for those of you that walked out this morning and thought, all right, here we are, we're in the fall. People like me that uh, tend to be hot, warm-blooded and sweat since May or April-ish enjoy September and look forward to that. And so there's a lot of things that we um, look forward to. There can be a restructuring and a reprioritizing. Some of us are looking at, okay, what, what did we do? Did we exercise enough this summer? Did we um, spend enough time with friends? Maybe we were reprioritizing our life to include football these days and those kind of things. So it's really a, a, a new start in a lot of ways. And yet... The reality is school starts. And if you have anybody that's a school-aged child in your home, the vast majority of them, that's just really a hard hurdle to get over. Many of them enjoy school, and it's a good experience, but that whole homework thing and that whole getting up in the morning, it just it continues to be a trauma. And so for us, uh, you know, it, it's an oftentimes it's a, just a neat transition into um, ministry and that kind of thing, and yet it's kind of uh, hesitant that, you know, summer's over, winter's coming, I apologize to the Omen family and others in our church that may feel like winter is a really exciting time of year. Uh, I enjoy winter. I just don't enjoy the intensity and or the length that Minnesota has. And so, so we all go through in transitions, and we go through this transition in our church. When you leave today, you'll be handed a what we call the Why Is That a Weekly that gives you more detail on, on specific classes and things. Um, our services ch- switch to next summer, or next summer, next summer we'll do some other things. This next week, however, is coming sooner than that. Next week we will start a 9, and, 9 o'clock service and a 1045 service, which is our regular uh, fall, winter, spring schedule. We have child, uh, kid activities from birth uh, through the elementary, through junior high and high school, even to adult. Um, so we, we have things that are structured for all ages. Some of that information is available in the Wyzetta Weekly. Um, much of that you can register for online. We have a wyzettafree.org is our website, and you can register for those classes. And we really encourage you, as you look at the transition time, whether you are, have been attending this church for a long time or you're just kind of checking out churches, this is a, kind of a natural season for people to visit as well. So... Kevin Meyer, our lead pastor, will be back next week to share with you, and um, the classes will start. And, and we really encourage you to check those things out. Uh, go on the website and see what, what we have as well. Um, there's a welcome center in the lobby that we would um, love for you to, to join us at. We also, this week, um, it's not a new thing, but it continues the fact that we have a once a month on when, the first Wednesday of the month, we have a prayer time at 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. Uh, in this room, and we'd love to have you join us and share and pray with us today. And today I'm talking about a little bit about transition that I've been reading through the book of Acts. And one of the realities of the book of Acts is that it's going from the Old Testament 
it's through the Gospels. The Bible has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first books of the New Testament. Those are the stories of Jesus and the good news of Jesus coming. And so now we're, when they get into Acts, the people of the, that have lived with Jesus and have heard from Jesus and stuff suddenly are going, okay, what's life look like now? Because you need to understand, in Old Testament life, God had given the, the law as a moral code and some guidelines and that kind of stuff to, to the Jewish people and said, you are my chosen people as the Jews. And through you, I am going to do great and mighty things. And other countries and other people will see how great and mighty that is. And you will be a witness for me. And I, other people will be drawn to the significance of God through the Jewish people. That has gone through the whole Old Testament. Sometimes the Jews did pretty well with that. Other times they really struggled with that. And, there was, and, and it's just a fascinating story about how God continues to weave himself through relationship and through people and through um, connections throughout the Old Testament. Well, along comes Jesus and says, I am a fulfillment of that law. I'm not taking away the law. We're not getting rid of it. What I'm doing is I'm fulfilling it. And I'm fulfilling it by coming as a sacrifice for you, and I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to raise again, and that's what we celebrate in our communion this morning. Because that's the significance of Jesus dying for us for our sins, and so God has a a sin problem with us because he's holy and we're not, and so how does he deal with that? And so he sent Jesus to die for us. And so Jesus had lived and breathed and ate and, and ministered with these people. The apostles and the disciples were the early leaders of the church. And so we come to the book of Acts, and now um, there's just, uh, you know, the whole, Jesus left and he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, sends the Holy Spirit to them for power and challenge and encouragement and conviction and all of those things that the Holy Spirit continue, can continue even through this day to be a resource for us and to be a connection for who God is. And so we find all that, and in the book of Acts we come and there are some crazy things happening. Um, Saul, who was one of the leaders of the Jewish people, was going around putting to death new believers in Jesus. And God came and appeared to him and said, Saul, why are you doing this? Quit hurting my people. And Paul became a Christian, became a believer in Jesus through that experience. And so now all these disciples, Peter, who had denied him three, denied Jesus three times and all this, were now the leaders and they had to figure out what to do and how to start forming churches and groups. Because the one thing that you see as you read the Bible and look at that is God works in community. God works in relationship. And so Jesus came and developed the disciples that worked with him, and then the disciples went out and started churches and developed, developed that fellowship. And even to this day, we come together in a church because of this model and because of what, how God created us to have fellowship and community and work together. And so lately I've been reading the book of Acts, and I came across the story of Bartimaeus. And I want to talk a little bit about Barnabas and his adventures today. Um, It's a little more challenging passage to identify, and you'll notice in your program, for those of you that are normally here, usually we have a little Bible verse in there that tells you where the passage is. So I'm talking from Acts 3, 9, 11 to 13, and 14 and 15 today. So we'll skim through a few things. I encourage you to go home today, read those those passages, look at how God took that new new believers and the new people to and turn them into to just champions for Him. And um, so, I think as we look at uh, the story of Barnabas, we see three things, three qualities that I think that are worthy of, of identifying with and, um, and having in our lives as well as Barnabas had. And I think the first thing is Barnabas was generous. Barnabas appears for the first time in Acts 4. We don't know a lot about him before that, but in Acts 4, starting in verse 32, it says, 
all the believers who were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now we see that Barnabas shows up in saying, I'm going to be generous to this church. I'm going to take what, what I have and be generous to these people and this group and this community that I want to be a part of and probably was a part of so that no one would be in need. Now we translate, in our culture, I think we translate generosity as finances. I mean, uh, part of my responsibility is finances. Uh, I would be, uh, this is the time where I oftentimes am up here thanking you for your generosity. Uh, I would like to do that again. The last six months or so of our, um, of our giving has been great, and we've really been appreciating that stuff. And oftentimes when we talk about generosity, we talk finances. And yet, I think there's a, a generosity that you, when you look at through the Bible, that God values generosity and finances, certainly. We, we could not do this without your generosity and finances. But it's also the generosity in time, in your talents, in the things that you do. Um, we have people that run whole ministries at the church. We have people that are um, invested in greeting you and, and sharing and making it possible for you to come and hear about God this morning and throughout the week. All of those things are, are generosity with time and talents. And so we see generosity. Um, Barnabas is intra, introduced through a generosity of finances, but he also gave for, in his generosity was in forgiveness. And we see that jumping down to Acts 14. And again, like I said, we'll jump back and forth. But in Acts 14, starting in verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued that with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I think you see in both of those verses the ultimate, um, the first verse where it talks about, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that they gave of their time and their money. I think we see um, Barnabas here um, expressing that forgiveness through John Mark. Because John Mark was a person that had gone with them and had stopped in the middle of one of their trips and said, I got to go, I'm going to leave. And so Paul was real frustrated with this and said, no, we can't take him again. And Barnabas was generous in his forgiveness. Because he saw John Mark as somebody that God could use and somebody that could, could be um, impactful for, for God and for the message. And to the point where Paul and Barnabas came in strong disagreement and separated for a while. And you see that relationship continuing through, the, through Acts. And yet, I think it's vital for us to understand, generosity goes beyond finances. Generosity includes forgiveness. It includes giving of your time. And if we're looking at qualities that we want in, our, in ourselves, and I think in qualities in, uh, biblically, one of those qualities is generosity. The other, gener- the other uh, quality is Barnabas was a guide. And I hesitated to use the word guide today because 
oftentimes in spirituality and spiritual circles, guide is, is looked at as a spirit guide. It's somebody that's taking them, people to, to show some sort of discovery or some sort of wisdom and insight that only that guide knows or can connect you with some things that you really wouldn't have that ability to do. And so I didn't like the word guide, but as I struggled with it and as I looked at that, I think the reality is guide is the right word to be used here. And oftentimes our culture takes words and changes them. Considering, you know, in thinking through this, some examples of the word lame. If I was up here 20 years ago and I said the word lame, you would think I can't walk or there would be some issue in moving. Now it means dull, boring, inspiring. If I refer to Mike Brinkman who had a really lame service this morning, that would not mean I couldn't walk around the, the front. It would mean you are bored. I was boring, dull, and uninspiring. Uh, viral is another one. Used to mean sickness. If you had viral was something referred to as with sickness, now it means a message of communicating that spread from person to person, often through technology, and it goes viral. It just goes crazy. So I use the term guide for two different things. One, it Barnabas was a guide in the fact that he said, this is what I see God doing. This is how I've experienced God. This is how other people are experiencing God. And this is how in a community, I want to lead you into the position of serving God and worshiping God. And experiencing Him on a new and incredible level as we are experiencing Him. And so guide fits in that Barnabas took people along in that process and said, let me show you who God is. Let me show you how that works. The second reason I picked guide is because it starts with a G. And then you have three G's today, and I'd like you to remember it beyond 1115-ish or so, and so we're starting with the word G. But it's simply seeing what is God doing in their lives. And we can all be guides. I think we are, are in a position where we can come along and say, let me show you what God has done. Let me show you how he is ex- we've experienced him. And we have things like testimonies where people get up and talk or share and say, this is what God has done in my life. And Barnabas was a, guide, was a guide for the church in many ways. First of all, he was a guide in helping the disciples accept Paul. Because understand, Saul was this person who was going around killing Christians. He went through a conversion experience and now is called Paul. So the Bible enjoys changing names on you a little bit. But Paul comes along and he comes in, in Acts 9, 26. We see him coming to the disciples. When he, he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. It's a natural response. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. But they tried to kill him. When the believers learned about this, they, t- they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Paul was a guide in that time to say, look, you don't know who Paul is. This is really who Paul is. And you, I'm sure the disciples knew who Saul was and the experiences. And many of them were at, in Acts 7, Stephen is stoned. Um, and Paul was, Saul was looking on, on approvingly at that point. And I'm sure that they knew that and had experienced that. And that's not that different than our natural responses today. Would be, if somebody is killing people and now claims to be a believer, we would be pretty hesitant about that. And so Barnabas comes along and says, let me tell you, let me show you, our community, who this person is. 
and how he's experienced God. And now he is, God has called him into service and working with us. So Barnabas is a guide for the church in introducing Paul. Uh, in Acts 13, he's a guide from the law that I talked about in the Old Testament to Jesus and really the revelation to the Gentiles. Because in the time, the Jews were the chosen people. And now Jesus came along and said, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going to deepen the law. I'm going to give you a better understanding of that. And it's going to include not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Well, again, this is a huge transition. This is a huge challenge for people at that time, especially the Jewish people, but even for the Gentiles. Because it used to be clear that when I am following God as a Jew, I am wanting Gentiles to come into that. But then we, you basically become a Jew to do that. And so Barnabas comes along and helps guide them through that process. Looking in Acts 13, starting in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of this earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So we see Barnabas is a guide not only to the disciples, but Barnabas is a guide to the, to the whole um, new churches and things to say, understand, God is, loves the Gentiles. He's always loved the Gentiles. He's loved them through the Jewish people. Now he's talking about Jesus making that, that a, a, a different approach and a deeper approach than we had before. Recently, I was, my family um, each year goes to this conference in Okoboji, Iowa. And um, I was down there and I heard a man speak uh, whose name is Sky Jitani. Sky Jitani is one of the leaders of, um, he uh, is an editor for Leadership Magazine, which is a pretty well-respected um, magazine. And so he comes, and, and Sky Jitani is one of those guides for me, where I sit and I hear Sky Jitani talk, and sometimes I, I know what he's saying, you know, I've lived what he's saying. I, it's not a new revelation as much as it's a reminder. Other times it's kind of a new outlook into how God is working. And, and so this summer I was down and, and heard Sky Jitani talk, and he said he's just going to share eight things that um, he's learned as he's traveling around talking to pastors. And his first one is perpetuity is a problem. Well, if you're like me, and I know I am, you stop and go, let's see, perpetuity. I think that means like it goes for a long time. And so it does. It means a thing that lasts forever or for an indefinite period. And we as people, and as churches, quite honestly, love perpetuity. We love the things that happen um, all on and on. I used to be a youth pastor, and one of the biggest challenges was to help ninth and 10th grade students understand your friends that were your best, greatest, incredible friends in elementary may not be your best friends in junior high. And that's okay. You change. One goes into band, and one goes into sports, one goes into journalism, one goes into whatever, and your friendships change. And it's devastating because we like the continuity. We like perpetuity. We like it to go on and on and on. 
We say that many of us went through high school and graduated from high school and thought, these are going to be my greatest friends ever. And some of you maybe still are. Most of you probably not. Others at college, these are my greatest friends. This is going to be my friends forever. This is going to be my job forever. This is going to be my whatever forever. And so I think we oftentimes function with, I brought a jawbreaker this morning. And so I love jawbreakers, or I used to love jawbreakers. They're not as much my favorite anymore. But uh, the older I get, the raw sugar just doesn't do as much for me anymore. But basically a jawbreaker is, is sugar put into a dense thing, and so you can't chew it. If I put this in my mouth and I chew it, my perpetuity is I now have no teeth in my mouth for a long, long time. And so we like those things. And as kids, they got them, and we'd suck on them, and you'd suck on them, and you continues, and you continues. And some of us, if we're really adventurous... Went for the real jawbreaker. This, my friend, almost two pounds of solid, hard sugar. And they sell more than one of these, believe it or not. There's a case of them. And if you look at that jawbreaker, in talking to one of my staff this week, we were uh, talking and she said, well, she used to buy the biggest one she could find because it was the best value for the money. Even though she didn't like it as much as other things, she would buy it because it was a better deal. I wasn't that way. And yet I would look at that and say, think about the value. Think about the length and the duration of pleasure that this could give me. Well, if you know anything about jawbreakers, Eventually you start to lick them, and this one is a more than one time period experience. And so you would lick them, and when you come back, you know, because I had some and I saved them diligently, and you know, maybe you wrap them up, maybe they roll into the bed, and they're not as clean as they used to be. See, you laugh because you all know what I'm talking about. But when you lick them, they become a little grainy, and your tongue gets a little sore, and, and it's kind of the same flavor all the time. Which is part of the value, is that perpetuity of flavor goes on and on and on. And on and on and on. But if you look, and so you may even get to the point of saying, you know, I could really like, I could really use a new flavor here. And yet you're kind of stuck on this, but I like this. This has been good for me. This has been an ongoing thing. It's predictable. Uh, If you're like me, I like predictability. I like to know what's going on. I like consistency. And some of us aren't that way, but some of us like consistently change is the consistent constant that you want. And so your perpetuity issue is it's always got to change. And those people struggle with people like me and vice versa. But we go through and we oftentimes look at that. And I think even spiritually, we can get to the point of saying that goes on and on and on. Because we experience God in a certain way. And I've gone through and experienced God through missions and and just great times where I go, this is a great experience. God is real to me. God is exciting and warm and awesome and powerful. And I can never imagine that that will change. And yet you go on. And if you take that and say, well, this is what God looks like now. Sooner or later, God challenges me with deeper things that I didn't even struggle with that back here. And yet now, today, I'm struggling with that. What is that about? Or something I struggled with a long time ago, I kind of, I don't know if I grew out of it or it just didn't become that big of a priority anymore, but it just isn't that big a deal. And sometimes our spirituality is that way. And we see that a lot in the idea of the Jews saying, no, I like this this way. 
This is the way that you function and you serve God, is you do these things and you follow these rules, and I'm number, and the Jews are in charge. Never let us forget that. And we see that in that stuff, where people come along and say, no way, stop saying that. And Paul and Barnabas were a key guide to what that looks like. And my challenge to you is to struggle through that reality of, we serve a God who never changes. And so theologically, if God never changes, and the Bible talks about God is the same today, all, forever, how can we have a law, and now we have Jesus, and what? Well, that the truth of that is that God is bigger than we can imagine. God continues to be significant and huge, and he is just developing, showing us a deepening of our understanding of theology a deepening understanding of his intention. And he does that knowing that we are humans and we have a a tangible, frail time period that we are aware of or concerned with or a depth of understanding that is limited. And so we go through life saying, well, if God never changes, it must be the same all the time. And yet God says regularly, no, I'm giving you a deepening understanding of what that, that looks like. And so that's a theological challenge of how does God never change and yet... That's a pretty big change from law and Jews and now we're including the Gentiles and Jesus. And it's a deepening of who God is. It's a deepening of our understanding of who God is. It's a deepening of his revelation to us. And we go through that. Historically, there's been times the church really focused on God the Father. God the Father was the big deal. And then people come along and realize, you know, we kind of forgot about Jesus. So Jesus is the big deal. And then we go along and we kind of forgot about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a big deal. Uh, Just in the last few years, there's been a real emphasis on back to the early church concept of no one is in need and providing for the people around you. And how does does our generosity through providing for people and, and meeting each other's needs function? And that's been a real positive and a real struggle for churches to go through and for believers to go through to say, okay, what is what does that mean for my money and our church value and and we'll take an elder care or caring offering at the end of the service because we are caring we care about the people in our community and we're following some of that model in acts and so we see barnabas coming through as a guide and a deeper deeper understanding of who god is and we have guides um i can look around and i can point to several people in this room lots of people in this room to be honest who have helped guide me into a deeper understanding of who God is. Who is your guide, is my challenge to you. There's guys like Sky Jatani that's a guide for me. I pick up a book from Sky Jatani, I hear about him, it's, it's great. The challenge is, we have to continue to talk about truth. And so our ultimate guide that we have the benefit of, that the early church didn't have, is the Bible. And so I don't care who it is, whether it's Sky Jatani or Mike Brinkman or Joe Blow on the street, you still have to take that truth and that guide and say, is that consistent with what the Bible says? Because if you walk out today and go, boy, that was a new revelation. I never really heard that before. Odds are I added it because I just put it in there. It wasn't in there in the first place. Other times that new revelation is, oh, I didn't really understand how that's how God worked. I didn't understand that deep understanding. And for me, a guy like Sky Jutani is a guy that's, is a, I mean, theologically, the guy is a genius, and yet he talks on my level. And there's other people that, you know, we can go through authors, we can go through leaders. 
that's why we have a variety of opportunities here at the church. Um, we have classes, like I mentioned, starting next week um, for all the age groups. And, and there will be pe- teachers coming in to help us, guide us into that understanding through community, through that relationship, through coming alongside of each other. Uh, the Bible uses the, the picture of iron sharpening iron. We come together and we figure out what the truth is. We, we, we struggle against our own sinfulness. We struggle against our own learning, that we've, the baggage that we bring in, all of those things. The women's ministry starts the September 12th with a number of different offerings from different guides that lead us into that. The men's ministry is using an a, a authentic manhood thing, starts the September 20th. Again, it's a guide into saying, what does it mean to be a man and serve God in that role? And it goes on and on and on. So Barnabas, we see, was not only generous with himself, with his giving, with his forgiveness. We see him being a guide to the people. And in Acts 14, which we won't look at, is... Barnabas and Paul, and Paul went around and led new churches and said, this is how we function. They established some elders. They, they kind of gave them some guidelines. Acts 15, the Gentiles are, are, are the Jews, I'm sorry, were saying, um, if you believe in Jesus, you have to be circumcised. Circumcision was a huge identification piece, the key identification piece in the Old Testament, that you were a believer in who God said he was. Because I got circumcised and I'm the people of God. Well, the Jews, even some of the Jewish believers were saying... It's great that the Gentiles are joining us. They just have to be circumcised. Well, the Gentiles are going, I I thought it was about Jesus. That sounds like the law. What's the deal? And so Barnabas and Paul were key guides in in Acts 15. They had a council of the churches and got together and said, what does this look like? How do we serve? And finally, Barnabas was was a godly man. And I struggled with putting this, because I wanted to put this as point number one. And yet, I I realize we almost have to understand who Barnabas was in his actions of being generous, because the grace of God was overwhelming for him. His actions of being guide and sacrificing his life and service and all of those things to understand how how important it is that we're godly. And we see that in um, throughout Acts, starting in chapter 11, verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Um, Jumping over to Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Throughout, we see God identifying and saying, Barnabas is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if we are going to give generously... If we're going to guide people, we have to understand the foundation of being godly. The role of the Holy Spirit. This is not a a, a thing that God just says, go figure me out. He says, I will send my spirit to help you, to challenge you, to encourage you, to uplift you. And the Holy Spirit raises up people to guide other people. And you may be, the Holy Spirit may use you as a guide to your neighbor. For you to walk in and say... I don't know a lot about theology, but I know God loves me, and I know God loves you. 
God may use you as a, a, a guide in your relationships with your friends or with your co-workers. You may come here and lead and be a guide to people in a Bible study. You may do that through other ministries of BSF or CBS that, that also meet in this building or other buildings. There's so many ways that we can be a guide or generosity, and yet it all comes down to do we understand what it means to be godly? Do we understand what it means to have God as number one? Because the Bible is clear. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love others yourself. I, I mean, it's, I am one, I'm the God that you should serve. Read your Bible. You want a guide to tell us who God is? The Bible is clear. God is the big deal. And we are second to that. Many of you, I'm sure, uh, watch the show American Idol. I'm not a huge American Idol fan, but I, my family is, and so I periodically pick up episodes. And Scotty McCreary is the guy that won it this year. Uh, if you don't know who Scotty is, he's 17 years old. He's from Texas. I think he's from Texas. And he's just got this booming, deep country voice. And you just, I, I mean, to the point where you're surprised that voice is coming out of that kid. And I didn't know this until recently, until I was preparing for this message, actually, that Scotty McCreary, apparently, during all of his stuff, wore a little black bracelet like this that said, I am second. And I'd never heard that before. And clearly not very many people have heard that before because I tend to ask everybody then around me, have you heard of this I am second thing? And almost nobody has. So I'm sure it's a great ministry, but I like the idea of people got together and said, how do we remind people to prioritize God being number one? And they've started an I am second ministry that says, identifies, God is number one, I am second. And they give bracelets and they have activities and all these things because they want people to put themselves in a position to acknowledge God as number one and they're number two. And so it's, it's really, I think, tangible for people like Scotty McCreary to stand up who's, you know, the champion and he won it and he was a big deal. For him to stand up and say, yeah, I, I have some success in this, but God is really number one. And so my challenge to you is think through, you know, how are we being generous this right now? With our time, with our money, with our gifts, our forgiveness, whatever. How are we guiding others, guiding together? How are we connecting with a community to, to learn who God is? And, and are there people in our lives that are guiding us to a deeper understanding of what that is? Are we, is our role to guide other people in a deep understanding of that? And it all has to be the foundation of godliness. And are we, would we walk around with bracelets to say, I am second? Now, I'm not a big bracelet fan, and this is the last time you'll probably see me wearing this bracelet. But, um, but I, I think there is parts of our life where we are, it's valuable for us to put ourselves in positions where we say, I am second. Now, the natural thing now is then, I think, for people is a lot of us to go, well, then I'm really third because God would be first and then this person's better than me and, well, that person's better than me and I'm really eighth or tenth or whatever. Uh, if you think like that, I, my last sermon referred to that, that you, if you don't think about yourself as second, then you don't think about yourself as God does. And so there's, it's available online, go listen to it, it's, it's a whole different sermon. But the reality is, there's only a first and a second, I think, in, in effectively with God. God is number one, and everybody else is number two. And we can look at that from one way and say, you know, I, my tendency is to go, I'm number eight. Not in God's eyes. 
He just wants, he values us as a, as a person that serves him and glorifies him and, and has a relationship in, with him and the community we get together with. He says all sorts of th- crazy things, like love your enemies. Like the first shall be last, the last shall be first. It doesn't even make any sense until you understand what it means to be godly. Past Acts 14, Barn- there's only a couple of references to Barnabas after that. Here's a person who was the key guide and leader in the disciples, with the disciples. He's the person that brought Paul into the, to the ministry with the disciples. And Barnabas fades into the woodwork. Paul goes on to re- write most of the New Testament, or a huge chunk of the New Testament. Continue, goes on to be a significant character throughout the ministry and, and the, the reality of the Bible. And I think if we ask Barnabas, we don't know anything, as far as I'm aware of, but... I, if we ask Barnabas, how do you feel about that? I think Barnabas would say, well, I'm second. What, what do you mean, how do I feel about that? God is number one. I did all of those things simply because God asked me to do that. Because I'm so overwhelmed with the grace of God and what he's done in my life that what choice do I have? And I got beat up and I got spit on and I got, went through all of these hardships but it was worth it because God is number one. And I, that's just the godliness that, that I would challenge us to look at, that I would challenge us to see and think. That's why we sing songs that we started the service today is God is bigger than the air we breathe, the world will leave, God will save the day, and all will say, my glorious. That's my encouragement to you. As, as you look through Labor Day and the transition of summer to fall or whatever transition you may be going through, this is a natural time to say, how generous am I being? How am I connecting with a guide or guiding other people into who God is? And how am I experiencing God on a deeper level so that the Holy Spirit will look and say, I've set apart you or you're a man full of grace and, and the Holy Spirit or a woman full of grace and the Holy Spirit. And what a neat thing. At the end of our service today, we have a prayer time, prayer team that will come up and pray with you. If you want to pray through any of that, come and join them. They're, they're great people. They give great hearts. They're, they're um, passionate about sharing and praying with you. And then as, um, during the last song, you will have the opportunity to give for a caring offering. Um, you know, we do that because we want to respond and say, this is what it means to be generous. This is what, we needs to be, what it means to invest in other people. Sometimes this is what it means to be second. And second's a great place to be. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome. You are godly and glorious. And Lord, we just seek to come into your presence. Identify with you. Connect with the community that we live with and and you have created for us to be a part of. To serve you, to experience you. May that be our goal and our action this week. In your name I pray. Amen.